Hi, this is Dan Z from Coffee with Kenobi, and if you listen to one podcast this week, well, you should listen to Coffee with Kenobi, but if you listen to two podcasts this week, listen to the Rebel Base Card Podcast. Great pull, kid. Uh, everything's under control, situation normal, but uh, everything's perfectly all right now. We're fine. We're all fine here now. Thank you. How are you? You found something. You found the Rebel Base Card Podcast. What a piece of junk. I'm your host, Greg McLaughlin. He's as clumsy as he is stupid. Join me as we discuss Star Wars trading cards and card collecting. We need a statement, not a manifesto. We'll talk about sets from the original vintage. No, no, the one I'm pointing to. All the way to current releases. This? Yes. All right, let's get started. Commence primary ignition. Welcome back, or if this is your first episode, welcome aboard. My name is Greg McLaughlin, and this is the Rebel Base Card Podcast. Folks, if you found this one, you are in for a special treat tonight. A couple years ago when I started this podcast, and after I started to kind of work with a lot of sketch artists and having them on the program, I had kind of come up with this idea to ask some of them, you know, what the influence of Macquarie, Ralph Macquarie, was to them. And, you know, as they are in their careers of doing sketch cards and, and commissions and and pieces on Star Wars. And I thought about releasing this either at around the time of Ralph Macquarie's death, which was in uh, which was in a on a March uh, or on his birthday, which is in June. And at, at one point, as I was kind of gathering up some of these stories, uh, my friend Daniel Lowe from Fan the Tracks said, you, you really ought to talk to John Scaleri. And I, I didn't quite know who he was, but, you know, he forwarded me over, you know, some links and whatnot. And, you know, I, I think it's one of those things maybe early on I kind of psyched myself out. And I said, you know what, I, I don't know if I could do this. Um, but I revisited this again, and uh, what an amazing opportunity and time. Uh, you know, we, we put some emails back and forth, came up with a time, and, you know, I wasn't quite sure you know, what I was going to, to hear. I knew that John had kind of worked on some of the art of books. And if I go from, from the uh, bio, you, you tell me uh, what, let me, let me just go through this. And then you start to think about what's going on on my head as you're trying to piece this together. Um, John and Stan Stice began working with Ralph McQuarrie back in 1996. In 2006, they launched Dreams and Visions Press to publish The Art of Ralph McQuarrie. It's one of those, it's, it's a huge hunkin' book, too. Uh, John has gone on to write several more books on Macquarie, including The Art of Ralph Macquarie Archives. This is from Dreams and Visions Press 2015. He also produced the DVD, DVDs Ralph Macquarie Illustrator, 2002, and Caroline Munro, First Lady of Fantasy in 2004. In 2019, he launched Cimarron Street Books to publish the magazine Bare Bones, and the collected works of award-winning author and screenwriter David J. Shaw. He's currently at work on Latent Images, Dreams and Visions Press 2021, a photographic retrospective of the 1968 film Night of the Living Dead. So here John is, here he's an author, but he also had an opportunity uh, in the mid-90s to meet Ralph Macquarie, sit with him at a con, kind of keeping an eye on him as he was doing autographs and so forth, and it started this amazing friendship and collaboration. And when I brought him on to talk about Ralph Macquarie, like I said, it was 
in kind of preparation, I thought, for my 100th show later this year in a couple of months. Um, I wanted to kind of piece this back together. I really wanted to kind of, I wanted to make it a special show, but I wanted to kind of piece together some of this. And I knew that I wanted to talk to him about Ralph McQuarrie, but I kept going over and over thinking uh, his story is so amazing that I really wanted it to be its own separate piece. I think to tell his story makes sense when we go into the second half of this. Uh, so I kind of split this interview in two, uh, and I think you'll find it makes two distinct pieces, uh, but tells an amazing story of, of two people and this collaboration, something I think we take for granted. You know, I, I think when I look back at Mount Ralph McQuarrie and think about, you know, my relationship, seeing him as a kid in those 1980 Empire Strikes Back cards, and that's the first time I saw his name. And, you know, you have this idea of Ralph McQuarrie, and we've seen a lot of these images. I'm, I'm sure just by saying his name, you have an idea in your head of a favorite painting or concept piece that you have. If you've watched Rebels, obviously you've seen a lot of what the, you know, the inspiration they used for some of those characters. But, you know, we kind of been living with this person uh, really just a name really you know the name and the art but you know to getting to get to know the person is not something that we will get most of us get to know we wouldn't have been lucky to ralph died in 2012 but when you have some of these first-hand accounts and especially john's journey uh from fan just like us you know he saw the movies just like us was a huge fan and then had the opportunity of a lifetime to meet ralph and then not only did that but also help him produce these books, which, you know, we kind of take for granted. There's, you go to the web, the shelves and you see all the, the art of this or that. Well, for Ralph McQuarrie, the journey for those books weren't exactly as, as easy as you might think. It wasn't necessarily a slam dunk. There, there'd been attempts before to do one. Um, so in order for them to kind of get it across the finish line, this, it's an amazing story. And that's why, you know, once again, I thought I wanted to tell this as a separate story, but oh my God, you are in for such a treat. Uh, I couldn't wait to get this together. Um, it, oddly enough, and just a little behind the scenes, you know, when I when I scheduled this, you know, John's on the West Coast and I'm here in Central, you know, you know, Central time zone in, in Chicagoland. I I was saying like, okay, we're gonna do it at eight o'clock, and I'm thinking eight o'clock Central. I put eight o'clock Pacific, and so as I'm going along, and I'm like, wow, it's getting to be about midnight. 1230 and I'm like oh my goodness but I just hang in on every word and just smiling grinning and, and probably some of my favorite interviews where I'm like basically I shut up and let them talk and tell their story and I wanted to get you every inch every second of what needs to be said in this and and uh, and and have it for you and like I said it's one of my favorite kind of things to do I just kind of sit there and you're just hearing these stories and that's what I'm hoping to kind of bring for you um, I know when we get this, I'll be very happy to get this 100th episode done because some of the stories have been kind of sitting there and I kind of wanted to wrap it all together and put it together. It's going to be a big one. It's going to be a big episode. Um, very happy about that. But I'm, I'm, I'd like to have these things out there because, you know, not everyone, everybody listens to every episode. And there's certainly, you know, when I'm doing cards, community and collecting, right? You know, you get a little card information. Sometimes you get I talk to a collector or I talk to a cosplayer, or I talk to you know, an author and so forth, and uh, you just try to put out this catalog of stuff, and some people like may glom onto something, and someone may glom onto something else. But as a whole, you kind of go, uh, this one I think, like I said, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna love it. I'm going to do away with the homestead keeping this week. Uh, I've been collecting some of the vintage stuff off eBay, like you know, just like a drunken sailor spending. Uh, but just to kind of put some of that stuff together and, and getting some trades and things like that. So I've been still working on the cards, getting a bunch of stuff in. 
Uh, you see some of the stuff on Instagram and uh, Twitter. But in this case, I want to give you every second that you can. And uh, I really hope you enjoy this interview with John Scaleri. And I'll see you on the other side of it. Well, I suppose I got hardware this thing. I kind of would like to start with um, kind of your journey, you know, because I think when I read some of your bio and something, you know, like you do an, you're an author and so forth, and you've done a lot of these books on, I would like to kind of scale back and kind of start kind of like how you got started in, in, in this, you know, in, in being an author, it was an author. Was that something you kind of wanted to do? You know, I, I see you get a lot of inspiration. looks like a lot of horror inspiration, but did you kind of grow up just really digging movies? Tell me, let's, let's start there. Sure. You know, movies have always been a big part of my life. Um, and you know, I, I count myself, amongst those people who grew up in a great era for movies, right? One of my first kind of major movie uh, experiences growing up was when they did the remake of King Kong in 76. That's the first movie that I remember being aware of before it came out. Um, And, you know, seeing the posters and kind of anticipating it and, you know, growing up with, you know, the original King Kong on TV, um, but going to see King Kong on the big screen in a movie theater, that's that's my kind of first major theatrical experience at age six in December of 76. And and I think in a lot of ways that kind of I, I was teed up for Star Wars, um, but I had no awareness of Star Wars before it came out. I hadn't seen trailers. I hadn't seen comic books. Uh, my first exposure was. Uh, probably in May, June, you know, I, I grew up in Santa Clara, California. San Jose was one of the 23 theaters that Star Wars premiered in on May 25th. So we had, you know, locally, Star Wars was the phenomenon. People knew, you know, we're talking about it and the lines and everything. Um, my, my first recollection was my best friend growing up uh, had the paperback with the photos inside. And I remember, you know, going to see him and his family had all gone to see the movie and they had gotten the book and he was telling me about it. And I'm looking at these pictures and it's like, wow, there's like, you know, this, this ape man, which, you know, being a King Kong fan and a planet of the apes fan, it was like, that's really cool. And, you know, what are these white guys and what's this, you know, this Darth Vader character. It was all very fascinating from just those handful of pictures but I knew it's like, we've got to go see this movie. And w- with my family, I remember we all kind of gathered into the van. I assume this is probably, you know, early June of 77. The whole family got in the van, went out to the theater, and there was literally a line through the parking lot. And, you know, this was the days when, you know, it was a, a, not, a, not a multiplex per se, but it was three domes and one parking lot. And the way the movies were staggered, it's like the movie would let out and then the parking lot would kind of empty. But when the movie was in, the parking lot was full. So if you came at the wrong time, there were no parking spots and there's a huge line of people. And I just remember my dad kind of looking around saying, oh, this, this isn't going to work. We, we're just going to have to come back later. And I was <laughs> so disappointed. It's like, oh, we we're so close to, to seeing Star Wars. And... Uh, I think later, it was probably later the same day, my mom said, no, come on, let's go try again. And of course, the timing was different. 
the lines had gone in. There was, you know, parking spaces. So we were able to go in, saw this movie, was blown away, like so many people in, in our generation. And, you know, as as did all the kids growing up, anything we could get our hands on, magazine articles, newspaper clippings. Um, and then, as you know, we started to get books on Star Wars. Some of the first things I remember in 77 were getting uh, the Star Wars album. And Ralph, you know, was featured in there. They talked about Ralph and they showed some of his drawings. And I remember getting the portfolio and, you know, looking at these paintings and saying, wow, this is really, really wild. And it's not exactly like the movie, but it's it's really, it's amazing to see these things. And, you know, reading all the descriptions and kind of just pouring over them, you know, having John Williams soundtrack playing on the, the family, you know, stereo and, and just kind of absorbing these paintings. Um, and through that, it's, it's funny because Ralph was a name that I became aware of and considered kind of on the same level as George Lucas, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill. He, he was just another person that was part of this Star Wars experience. Um, that was that was my kind of introduction to Star Wars and my introduction to Ralph um, right away. And, you know, from there, you know, as again, this generation that, you know, was seven years old when Star Wars came out, um, there were just so many of those things that, you know, the re-releases and going back to see the movie again and again, um, which were not normal behaviors, you know seven years old we didn't go to the movies a ton but it's like hey star wars is still playing we could see that and you know i'm sure my parents were like yeah okay we'll drop you and your brother off you can go see star wars again if you want to do that <laughs> um but it was just one of those things that you know my family even recognized it i remember uh again you know not having really any awareness beforehand i remember walking into a best products department store and you know the family kind of goes in and everybody spreads and you know i go towards the toy section and i just remember walking in and seeing an end cap that was you know it seemed like it reached to the sky of star wars figures and and just looking at them and being in awe and i probably was there for a few minutes but it felt like i was you know kind of drooling looking at these things for half an hour and uh, and I just remember when my family came and found me and my parents saw these things, I think they were kind of like, oh, oh no, what do we do? Um, and proceeded to basically sit there and, and I just remember my parents going, okay, well, here's one of this guy and here's one of this guy. And I basically, you know horribly spoiled though i didn't you know, appreciate it at the time <laughs> i think I, I walked out with 10 of the first 12 oh, figures that day and you know i still have the card backs from those figures from that day but it was just it was it, it's an amazing thing that i i have such a vivid recollection of that um and partially because it, it's like how how could my parents have known that that was that important to me and I realized, because it, it wasn't just, hey, here's some flashy object that, you know, attracts my attention. It was Star Wars, and it was unique, 
And clearly by that point, you know, in 78, they knew that this was an important, you know, part of my existence. Um, and, you know, I, I'm very fortunate to have kind of had that experience. But, you know, then, you know, that, you know, further uh, in, ingrained me in Star Wars collecting that, you know, continues to this day. And, and that's something I think when I when I talk with folks and we're about the same age, you know, where, you know, we grow up, you know, we start with a, a new hope and we're, you know, seven or eight. And then as we get through to Empire and you have, you know, and and that's where I come across Ralph McQuarrie for the first time is in the Empire Strikes Back cards where there's that insert set and you see the alpha yep. you know, and you're just like, wow. And and then you kind of, you know, so in some cases, Ralph's been around, you know, for us, it's always he's been he's been there, even though we didn't really quite maybe fully appreciate or realize just his contribute, you know, contribution at the time. But then you get to, you know, you know, by the time that Return of the Jedi comes out and, you know, now we're in junior high or getting ready to go into high school. And so our thinking has changed. We're not maybe as interested in the toys or maybe we are, you know, you have this or that. And I held on my card backs for a while, but they're gone. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you go through and, and, and it, it's almost like at some point we kind of put star Wars back on the shelf. We were, there was other fish to fry after, you know, you know, post return of the Jedi. And, and of course the, the Ewok movies and all that, that was really, you know, it was really not where we, our headspace was, although now it's fun. You could go back and look at them on, on Disney plus. Yeah. And so I'm, I always kind of wonder uh, of folks of, of my age, you know, like, is that, was that the same for you? Did you sort of kind of like, well, this is nice. You kind of put it there and you kind of move on. Was that kind of like how for you, or did you just keep trying to find new things? Well, you know, it's interesting because, you know, the, the cards were another, one of those key things early on, you know, going, you know, I remember walking down to Seven Eleven and buying, you know, packs of cards and packs of cards and, um, you know, at that point, it wasn't even about having a full set. It was just, you know, getting more pictures that we hadn't seen before. And I always remember, I always, I never wanted to put the cards in color or numerical order. I always wanted to put them in, in film order. So it's like, I, I remember like the opening scene in the orange border cards, they had the shot on the blockade runner before the door had blown open. And so it's like, you, that would be like the first card in my set. <laughs> and then, you know, basically I, I would just sort them out so that you know, you could flip through them and basically kind of relive the movie in one more way. Um, two other, you know, there were other big influences for me. 78, when the holiday special came out, I was, again, of the mm -hmm. right age where, you know, familiar enough with the idea of variety shows and that whole format that, you know, people can't, appreciate today if they weren't around you know for that <laughs> period of time but also again being naive not being connected in kind of fandom not really being aware that the empire strikes back was coming and so i remember watching the holiday special and you know, to me that was that was the sequel to star wars it was harrison ford it was carrie fisher it was mark hamill it was chewbacca and more wookies you know what what's not to love um, and, and, and I'm able to still kind of look at it with the nostalgia of, Hey, that's at the time that was star Wars. Right. Now it's easy to look at 
and see all the, you know, the issues with it. I also think that I have a, an appreciation for it because in later years when I found out that Ralph worked on it and, you know, and not only did he work on it, some of the paintings he did for that were some of his favorite Star Wars paintings. And I thought, well, that certainly gives it a level of gravitas that it doesn't otherwise get, you know, from the average <laughs> uh, fan or viewer. Um, but the other big thing was in 79 when they released the Art of Star Wars book by Carol Teitelman that had the script. So, again, between the script and now the story of Star Wars vinyl that you could listen to and kind of, you know, memorize this entire film. But that was chock full of Ralph sketches, you know, not just the paintings, but sketches and concepts and things. And, um, and that had a very profound impact on me in terms of my star Wars fandom. Um, yeah, I've, I've got a lot of things, tchotchke, you know, covers a, a breadth of things, but star Wars publications, um, particularly publications related to the making of the films have always been, some of my favorite things, you know, just, you know, seeing the models, seeing the painting, seeing the guys working on uh, behind the scenes, um, or, or just seeing still seeing photographs of the film um, that, you, you know, you didn't see somewhere else when those things turned up. That was to me always like, wow, that's, that's more valuable than, you know, this new toy or this new model kit, maybe uh, just being able to kind of have an amass this archive of, you know, material that was like, this goes into how this was all made. Right. Uh, but, but yeah, you know, I, I think probably when I was, you know, nine, 10 years old, um, though I still had my love for star Wars. Um, I saw the movie night of the living dead, which had a, you know, a huge push on me in a different direction, which was like, wow, this is, this is amazing. Uh, different kind of movie completely. Um, but, you know, it, it all, it all kind of came up. I grew up watching, you know, creature features. And so, you know, from the classics, the King Kong movies, the hammer films, um, science fiction, fantasy, all those things kind of were all part of the melting pot of, of what I was raised on. Um, but, but that kind of then, then kind of pushed me in a different direction in terms of, Oh, this is an area I really like these things too. And so, you know, getting, Empire Strikes Back, to me, a lot of, you know, when that landed, there were a lot of elements of that, which was like, oh, this is dark. This is, you know, this has got darker elements to it. It's got kind of scarier themes to it. It's got, you know, kind of these little aspects that kind of were touching upon some of the things that I think I was um, enjoying in the horror films I was watching at that time, too. So it was a more... Um, I don't want to say threatening story, but it wasn't as safe. You know, Star Wars is is a great um, is a great film you can show anyone, uh, and and I I will go on record as saying you know, the original Star Wars I think will always be my favorite, and I will always argue that in in a lot of ways I think it's the best Star Wars film because you can take it and just watch that film. And have a complete experience. You don't need it. You don't need any more information. Um, as much as I love Empire Strikes Back, I I don't think I could show that to someone, you know, you know, take it to someone who's never seen or heard anything, 
and they would not be able to get a full experience because just the way that's the in the middle part of the story. It's not a complete resolution and you don't have the benefit of kind of the introduction of all the characters. Though, you know, certainly to to a fan of the films, to somebody familiar with all the films, it does have some of the the greatest depth and character development and um it has so much that I love about it. But but I think one of the reasons I always kind of lean towards the original is because it has that purity of independent of all else that that one experience i can't imagine anybody walking away from and not kind of feeling uplifted by that experience of of seeing that film so obviously you know we can tell the impact that it's had on did that carry through into you know what you were trying to think about what you wanted to kind of do as an adult or what you were aspiring to be um yeah when i when i so I, I got into books. I got into reading um, junior high. Um, and, and one of the, the reasons I got into reading really heavily was I found out the book that had inspired uh, George Romero to make Night of the Living Dead was a book called I Am Legend by Richard Matheson. And my brother worked at the library when he was 16, so I was probably 12 and he brought this book home one day and said, oh, this is uh, this is the book that inspired Night of the Living Dead. And I'm like, well, I have to read it. And I sat down one afternoon, one Saturday afternoon, and I read it from cover to cover. And it, w- it was probably the first time I had read an adult novel, you know, in one sitting. Um, and it just, that was like a lightning bolt of inspiration for me. It's like, it, it not only kind of became my kind of instant favorite book of all time, but it set me on a path of, wow, look at, look at what you can do with words. Look at what a book can do uh, in terms of having a, a similar effect to what, you know, films like Star Wars or uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark had on me in a visual sense. This was a book that kind of gave me the same sort of rush of experience. And so I started reading voraciously, kind of seeking out similar experiences. Like, can, can other books have this kind of <laughs> impact on me? Um, and some did and some didn't. Um, but because of that, one of the first jobs I got uh, while in high school was working in a bookstore. And, um, you know, made lots of friends there, got connected with a lot of authors um, primarily authors in the horror genre, because that was, again, my kind of primary interest at the time. Um, and decided that, well, when I, you know, I didn't think I wanted to be a writer per se, but I wanted, I thought I wanted to be in film in one way or another. So I decided I'm going to go to UCLA. I'm going to go to UCLA film school. That's what I'm going to do. And I remember, you know, my parents were a little concerned when I said, yeah, I'm going to apply to UCLA. And they're like, well, where else are you going to apply? I'm like, well, no, I, I want to go to UCLA. So that's where I'm going to apply. And they convinced me that, well, you probably should apply to a couple places. And so I said, all right, I'm, I'm going to apply to UCLA and I'll apply to Santa Clara University. My brother was a student there. He was about to graduate. But they said, you know, at, at least apply and see what happens. I applied to both. I got into UCLA. I'm like, done. I'm going to UCLA. <laughs> and then uh, and then I got an acceptance from Santa Clara University. And 
it's like, huh. It's like, well, UCLA is offering me a scholarship of this. Santa Clara University is offering me a scholarship of this. If I stay home, and or if I go to Santa Clara, it's home. I could keep my job. I could still work in the bookstore, which I enjoyed doing. I don't have, you know, I'm going to live on campus for a year, but I don't have the same expenses of, you know, living in LA and everything else. I said, you know, if I'm going to go to film school, I could really do that as a, a graduate thing. My undergrad, why not just take advantage of the fact that it's local and do this? So I decided not to go to UCLA. I went and I, I was in the, uh, the film. Uh, it was, it wasn't, strictly called a film and television major it was a communication major but i thought it's close enough you know they've got there was a class on the narrative art of film i'm like that that's that's where i'll go that's what i'll do and um and i did that and kept my job at the bookstore um which put me on a path that that's where i met my wife to be i met a lot of really good friends that i still am connected with to this day and I got involved with some friends, um, some guys that came in who published a magazine. Um, they had just published their first issue, and I was publishing a little newsletter in the store, you know, talking about the new horror books that were coming out and authors, you know, and would, you know, have, you know, get autographed book plates from different authors that we'd give away with books. And so... Uh, a guy came in one day and said, Hey, we're working on this magazine. We'd love to have you involved. And, um, I thought, well, that'd be kind of neat and got involved with this magazine and did that for the next 10 years. Um, from that, we ended up publishing some books of fiction and nonfiction, um, of different authors that we admired and, and enjoyed working with. And so I, I suddenly had this experience of publishing, which, was like, wow, that, that's, it's not this impossible thing. It was, you know, within reach and, um, we weren't making money, but you know, we weren't going broke. It was, you know, we were doing it, we were enjoying it for the fun of it and, uh, and thought, well, this is, this is really kind of cool. So I, I now had this new area of interest and, you know, kind of a, a side thing. It was never my, you know, never kind of intended to be a full-time job that I needed to make my living from. Um, so we had the benefit of doing things that we enjoyed as opposed to being motivated by, you know, what's what's a financially lucrative project to take on or, you know, what's, what's, the, what's the smart thing to do from a business perspective. Um, and I was very fortunate because... Um, and having maintained that sort of sensibility through my years of doing this, I've always had the good fortune of, you know, when, when I've done passion projects, um, more often than not, they tend to do well. Um, but I always tell people, but that doesn't matter because if you're doing a passion project and you're pleased with the result, you know, the fact that it may make a ton of money or may make no money is really secondary. Um, if you spend a lot of time and energy on something that you're not, your heart is not in and it doesn't do well, that that's a real downer. That's a real drag to say, it's like, yeah, we, we put all this effort in and nothing came of it. But if you could do something where you say, I put all this effort in and I've got this thing, this thing exists in the world that wouldn't otherwise, um, you know, whether or not it's, you know, a financial success is really 
less important to me. Um, and, and, you know, to kind of now to kind of turn the car back towards Ralph, um, in 1996, um, I was hanging out with a friend of mine, had a, you know, as a collectible dealer, had a movie poster shop. You know, I just, I would, you know, on the weekends I'd go hang out in a shop and we'd just sit and talk about different things. And, uh, one day I had gone to see him and he says, do you know who Ralph McQuarrie is? <laughs> and I'm like, what do you take me for? Of course I know who Ralph <laughs> Everybody should know who Ralph McQuarrie is. And he says, well, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm putting on a show in a couple weeks and I've asked Ralph to be the guest. And I'm like, that's awesome. I've always wanted to meet Ralph and I never thought I'd, you know, who would have thought I'd, I'd ever get the chance. He says, well, I know you, you know, when you worked in the bookstore, you said you did autographings and things. I'm like, yeah. He's like, would you mind kind of sitting with Ralph for the couple hours that he's at the show? I'm like, <laughs> would I mind sitting with Ralph? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I'll sit with Ralph. I said, not a, not a problem. Um, and so, you know, the, the show comes up and, it's so funny for me to think back knowing Ralph as we came to know him. But at the time my buddy sent a limo up to pick him up in Berkeley where he lived. And, uh, Ralph is not a limo kind of guy. I think, you know, literally it would have been one of those scenarios where he would have been one of those people more comfortable sitting in the front with the driver than in the back of the limo. But, you know, the limo came and got and brought him down to the show and, you know, we, we sit down and I introduce myself and, you know, tell him what a fan, you know, do all the fawning that you know, one would expect one would do when you meet Ralph McQuarrie for the first time and spend the next three hours, you know, you know, talking to him as people are coming up and getting things signed and you know, everybody's telling him how much they love him because everybody loved Ralph. All the while in my head, I'm thinking, this is an amazing experience that I will I will always remember this day that I got to sit and, you know, kind of hang out with Ralph McQuarrie. What a, what a great experience. So we, you know, we finish up, we wrap up the show, the limo's coming back to get Ralph. And we're just like, thank you so much. It was, you know, just an honor to, to meet you and spend the time. And Ralph says, yeah, it was, it was fun. You know, if you'd ever like to do it again, you know, just let me know. <laughs> and, you know, our brains are spinning. We're like, when are we, where are we going to, how are we going to do it again? What are we going to do? How, do, you know, do we, just kind of <laughs> running through in our head. How do we make this work? And that, that launched us um, on this path where, you know, we started saying, well, first thing we've got to do is we need material because it's not like, you know, people, you know, might have their own items that they could bring to Ralph but a lot of people it's like would come to the shows and say do you have anything <laughs> do you have anything to sell that we can get Ralph's signature on so we were buying everywhere we could get our hands on portfolios um, you know when a company named Portal had done a few posters we were buying hundreds of posters from them that we could take to shows um, and so that, that Ralph would have you know things material that he could sign for fans and we, we did that for several years. Um, we took him, you know, gosh, took him to Europe, we took him um, all across the U.S., different places, um, 
and through this process really got to know Ralph and, you know, we'd go up and we'd spend the day with him. We'd have lunch, we'd hang out, we'd talk about things. And, you know, it wasn't that we were, you know, always talking about Star Wars. We we're just talking about, you know, life and what was going on. And then we'd usually retire to Ralph's uh, office, which is where he was, you know, still working. You know, so we might see a painting he was working on or he might go through drawers and start pulling papers out and things. And it was always, you know, every time it was like, what, what magic is he going to pull out now? And there would be things where he's like, he pulled a, a tissue out and it's like, well, Ralph, what's that? And that looks kind of familiar. And he'd be like, oh, that's, um, that was the thing I did for Raiders of the Lost Ark. And we're like, Ralph, you worked on, what did you do on Raiders? He's like, oh, the, when they opened the Bible, I did the, and we're like, our minds are blown. We're like, you did that? Um, and there were so many experiences like that where we'd say, it's like, what's this? He's like, oh, this is some stuff I did for Cocoon. Or, oh, this is, I was working on a version of Forbidden Planet with Irvin Kirshner, but it never got made. And he had dozens of paintings. And we're like, no one's, this is all, you know, it's like, it's in his office and no one has seen it. And no one knows these things. And and we kept kind of going around in circles saying, how is it that this has never, how has there never been a book of your art? And uh, and he said, well, you know, people have tried. Um, he said at one point there was a, a publisher named Byron Price who had worked with Ralph on um, some Isaac Asimov books that Ralph did illustrations for. And he had approached Lucasfilm, said, hey, I want to do an art of Ralph McQuarrie book. And at the time, um, Lucasfilm's response was, okay, you can have two interior pages of star Wars art and nothing on the cover. <laughs> and, and, you know, Byron price was a, a mainstream publisher. You know, he wasn't a, a small press, but it just wasn't feasible to try and think that, well, you know, how do you do a Ralph McQuarrie art book that restricts his, Star Wars output to two pages that, you know, that's, it's unfathomable. Um, but it kept, you know, kind of percolating in the back of our mind. It's like, this is, this is, this is an injustice. And, uh, and I remember there was a trip that I, Ralph and I went, um, my, my friend Stan, who had, you know, basically started us down this path, uh, wasn't able to go. He said, I, can you go with Ralph to Denver for this show? And I'm like, sure, no, I'm, I'm happy to, you know, <laughs> do whatever I can, spend more time with Ralph. And and that's when I think I turned the corner from being just kind of this, you know, eyes glazed fan of Ralph McQuarrie to becoming a, a, a friend where we made a real personal connection. Uh, I remember when we first, we got to the hotel, we had adjoining rooms and we got in, we settled down and I thought, okay, Ralph, you need anything, let me know thinking I'm just going to kind of <laughs> sit in my room. And, you know, I settle in, I unpack my stuff, and then I hear a knock on the door between the rooms, and I open it up. And Ralph just kind of comes in, he sits down, <laughs> we start chatting. And I'm like, this is so surreal. It's like this this isn't really happening, and yet here it is. Um, and on that trip, I, I, I started hearing more of Ralph's stories. I heard about when he was in Korea and his experience, he was literally shot in the head and survived. Um, 
and it, it's again, it's one of those things that you think like George and his car accident. It's like the, it's like the fine line between surviving that experience and not surviving that experience and the impact that it would have on kind of so many of our realities since then. Um, and it was just one more of those things where I'm like, my God, there's so many of these stories that it, it has to be told. We have to find a way. And, uh, and so Stan and I started kind of talking about this. I'm like, Stan, I've, I've published books. Now, naively, the books that I had published had all been, you know, fiction or nonfiction, but text-based books, not art books, not full color, not oversize. But, you know, I didn't let that kind of get in the way of <laughs> thinking. I said, we've got to do this. We've got to find a way to make this happen. And Stan's like, okay, well, I've got, I've been scanning art. I've got a lot of art. Let me put something together. And he basically kind of put a mock-up together of art. And by this time we had, um, we had gotten to know Steve Sansweet really well. Uh, we had done, uh, Star Wars celebrations. We had, you know, people were now aware of the role we were playing in Ralph's life, helping him, you know, uh, make sure that he was being taken care of, but also getting him out to meet the fans. And when he was not able to do it anymore, we were still going out, um, you know, offering signed prints and things at the shows that Ralph wasn't able to come to. So we put Stan did this amazing job putting together this mock-up of a book. And we, we got a meeting with Steve Lucasfilm and we went in and gave it, their pitch and we had it all figured out. We said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to publish a book of Ralph's non star Wars art as proof of concept to show that we, you know, that we're real and we're serious and we're going to do this. And once we've done that, once we've got this book of his non star Wars art, we want you to let us do the star Wars art of Ralph McQuarrie. So there, you know, it'll be two separate volumes, but you know, cause we understand, you know, you're not going to just let us do a book and, you know, license Ralph star Wars art to us. That'd be crazy. And, uh, Steve was very kind and you know, very forgiving of our naivete. And he's like, well, he's like, leave the sample with me. He's like, there's some changes going on right now in publishing, but, Leave, leave the sample with me and let me, you know, let me get back to you in a few weeks. And we thought, okay, it's like, again, thinking we're <laughs> going to do this and not knowing how we would do it, not knowing how it worked, but we're like, we're going to make this work. And a couple weeks later we got the call and the response was everybody likes the idea. They think it's great. They like the, 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 you know, the sample you guys put together. So just need to know, you know, what do you need? And we're like, what do we need? <laughs> what do we need? Well, we need uh, we need access to art. We need you know we need the images so we can kind of start pouring through them. And they're like, okay, these two nobodies that had no publishing history as you know our to be kind of created company suddenly find ourselves with access into the digital archives of Lucasfilm. And we're going through and it's like, okay, we want this and we want this and we want this. Literally 
to the point where we, you know, we came back and we said, so our, our plan is we want to do a 400 page book and have a third of it be star Wars. And they're like, okay, that, that's fine. We can do that. And it, you know, as I keep waiting now for the other shooter drop for them to say, okay, here, here's what it's going to take to do this. And all along, they're just like, whatever you need, just let us know. We'll help you out. And they make art available to us. I remember getting to the point where we said, oh, yeah, Ralph had mentioned that, you know, this one picture of, you know, Chewbacca's son in his house with the table and mom in the back in the kitchen. That was one of Ralph's favorite paintings. We need that one for the book. And contact people in archives were like, yeah, we need we need this painting from the holiday special. And they're like, yeah, <laughs> it's like actually anything having to do with the holiday special that has to go across George's desk. And we're like, all right. No, oh, <laughs> you know, cause at that point we're like, it's, this is, and, and we said, you know, please, please be sure he knows that's one of Ralph's, you know, favorite star Wars paintings. Sure enough. They come back. They're like, George said, yes. And, and that, that was the, the kind of template for the experience we had. And every time that it was like, this is, you know, at some point they're going to pull the rug out from under us and say, ah, we were just kidding. You guys, you, did you really think you're just going to get away with murder here? Um, one day we got a call saying, Hey, we've got about 10,000 slides from ILM. We're about to ship them back. Do you want to come look at them before we do? Mm. Let me think. Do we want to come look at 10,000 ILM slides? It's like, what, what time should we be there? And we go the next day and they weren't kidding. And we looked through 10,000 slides and I'll tell you what, it seems like there were a thousand slides of, you know, at, at leg pieces and <laughs> things, but every one of them, it's like, Oh, it's like, Stan, look at this. Oh, Stan, look at that. And mainly what we were looking for was photos of Ralph. If, if when Ralph was there, because, you know, we knew that might be some of the things they had. And sure enough, we found some. We're like, oh, this is great. You know, we'd write down the numbers, say, please, you know, if you can have these scanned for us. And as we were going through that, we found um, there were several instances where guys like Dennis Murin and Ken Ralston would have Ralph's paintings. They, you know, borrow his paintings from, you know, upstairs i think um where joe johnston had his office and they'd bring him downstairs and they'd take photographs of them and there was an instance of it's one of the early paintings of inside the tie fighter cockpit um in the portfolio it's inside the cockpit and it's the film style death star with the millennium falcon there was another version of that that had been published which was a an earlier the concept version of the Death Star and a Y wing instead of the Millennium Falcon. So we knew that there was this alternate version of this particular painting, and and through Ralph, through working with Ralph, we knew that there were times that as design elements changed, depending on how how much of a change it was, he might just repaint over his original painting, and so literally there is one painting that exists today and that has the interior of the tie cockpit 
the film look Death Star and the Millennium Falcon. Underneath that was the different style um, Death Star and the Y-Wing. So this slide was like a great copy. And as I'm looking at it, I realized, but wait, it's not the Death Star. It's a planet. So it was a third version of this painting that we thought, this has never been seen. It was the luck of whenever, you know, Dennis or Ken had taken this photo, that painting was in a different state than it had ever been captured. And so it was like, this is like a Holy Grail image. So we, you know, we had requested that they, they uh, scan that for us and we were very excited. And I remember we got all the images back. They said, okay, we, we scanned all the things you requested and we're going through them. And there are all the nice pictures of Ralph and, you know, Ralph and the, the Matt team from Empire Strikes Back. And, and I'm like, Stan, they didn't, they didn't scan the most important one. They didn't scan the painting. And he went back and he said, Hey, there was another one we requested. And they're like, Oh yeah, yeah, we saw that, but we already have that in the archives. And so we didn't scan it again. And we're like, you don't have that in the archives. It's like, you have this other version of that in the archives. And they're like, Oh, and and again, I can't fault them because any average person would look at it and say, Oh yeah, that's that, that's that painting in the TIE fighter cockpit. We've all seen that. So they scanned it. We got it. We then got a, a, a message saying, um, Hey, you know, Jonathan Rensler is working on the making of star Wars book. And he, he wants to use that painting too. Um, are you guys okay with that? And we're like, what, what are we, you know, what are we going to say? No, it's like, sure. You know, it's, it's the making of star Wars. It's, you know, we'll, we'll tell you what we can tell you about the painting from, you know, Ralph's perspective, but we're just happy to have it so we can include it in our book. Um, at the time, I didn't know this. There was one other painting that uh, was a repaint. It was the the pirate ship in the Death Star, um, or on the the prison planet at the time. And in the portfolio, there's a painting where it's the it's a rear view of the Millennium Falcon in the hangar bay, and there are little, little tiny stormtroopers kind of walking around it. I got a photo um, from Bunny Alsup, who was Gary Kurt's sister-in-law and his assistant on the film. Um, they, she knew we were working on the book, and she said, "I've got some photos. Let me know if you know there's anything you'd like to use." And she had this photo of young George sitting in a director's chair, and behind him were kind of a wall of Ralph's not original paintings, but prints of his artwork. And in that in that photograph, there was this shot where basically it was that same image of, again, the pirate ship in the in the hangar, but it was the blockade runner. It was the the engines in the back. And we're like, oh, my God, this painting was painted over. And again, this this could be the only image it, you know, in this photograph on the wall behind George. And we said, well, let's, let's ask the archives. And we said, Hey guys, can you go through what you've got? Do you have any, you know, scan reproduction of this, this painting in this state? Because 
you know, clearly it was repainted by Ralph and, and we just don't know, you know, if this is the only thing we're thrilled to have it. And they came back and they said, yeah, we don't have that. I'm like, okay, well, at least we've got it in this little photograph. Um, flash forward, you know, a year later when the art of, or the uh, making of star Wars comes out and they've got that painting on a half page. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh, I see how it works. And again, I, I can't fault them. I think there was a sense that they wanted to have, you know, something exclusive in that book. Um, I, I was disappointed because it was one of those things that we thought, wow, what a cool image that would be to have if it existed. And it didn't look like it existed. So we thought, well, we've got it, you know, in a photograph. It's better than nothing at all. Um, but then to see it in their book, it's like, oh, they knew they had it. They just didn't want to. <laughs> they didn't want to tell us they had it because then they'd feel bad not giving it to us. But we, you know, we, it was smooth sailing right up to the point when we finally said, you know, we contacted our, our folks in licensing. It's like, okay. We are ready, you know, the book is basically done. We are ready to go forward, but we need to talk about the agreement of, you know, what, you know, what this is going to cost us. You know, it didn't matter what they said. We were basically, you know, ready to figure it out. And uh, word came down that um, George had said that the license fee would be waived um, as a promotional um, uh, value to them doing this book on Ralph and and that blew us away and they never asked to review the book they didn't ask to, to see it and kind of prove what we were saying or doing um, I think they they looked at what you know they, they saw our intention and they saw that we were really setting out to do the art of Ralph Macquarie and not to do the Star Wars art of Ralph McQuarrie or, you know, this wasn't about, hey, we can get our hooks into Star Wars and, you know, have a successful product. It's like we were very much about doing Ralph justice. And I think because of that, um, and, and I give credit all the way up to George, because, again, every step of the way and even he wrote a foreword for the book. Um it, it, there was never any any hesitation, any roadblocks. Um, and so we were able to basically proceed and tell Ralph, it's like, hey, Ralph, it's, this is really happening. And I remember when we got the first kind of sample copies back from the printer, uh, we were so excited. We drove up to see Ralph and his wife. And we had, you know, we had them all laid out on the, the kitchen table. And he came in and he's he's sees these books and it's it's a big book it's 12 by 15 400 pages yeah weighed 10 pounds maybe <laughs> <laughs> and as he sat and flipped through the book it dawned on me for the first time he realized that this was really happening because even though you know as we were working on it we kept thinking you know something's going to happen and they're going to you know, somebody's going to wake up and say, what, what are we letting these guys do? Um, but I realized, you know, Ralph had been down this path before. He had had people that had tried to do books before. And I think he was kind of humoring us. You know, I spent 
several weekends where I'd go up and, you know, we'd sit and talk about the art and I'd get stories and, you know, that would allow us to kind of flesh the book out. And, and as he was looking at the physical copies, I realized he never thought this was going to happen. And not, not that he thought we were, we were going to drop the ball, but I think he just thought at some point, you know, some rent should go in the works and, and it wasn't going to work out. Um, but boy, seeing him, seeing his work in this kind of massive tome um, and knowing that, you know, a copy of this book was going to reside in the Library of Congress for all time, um, seeing that through his eyes, it's like that day when we were when we left, we were on cloud nine. And, and I remember turning to Stan, I said, you know what, I don't know if anybody's going to buy this book, but it doesn't matter. Um, it's like for what we got today in just seeing that look on Ralph's face and, and that sense of pride and knowing that, you know, this was now something that really existed in the world. Um, that was, that was worth all the time. That was worth all the effort. That was worth all the money to, to print the book. Um, and it was just such a high point for us. And, uh, and fortunately <laughs> the fans really responded to it. The, you know, the book did really well. I like to, I like to say that we paid Ralph more in royalties from that book than George paid him to do the original star Wars paintings to wow. begin with. So, you know, it was, um, it was such a, it was such a positive experience. Um, and it, it kind of, it gave us such a rush that we kept thinking, what, what else can we do? What else can we do? And every time the opportunity came up to do something else or to do something different, we would go on these insane paths. You know, we thought, Hey, they're doing a, they're doing a celebration in Japan. What if, because it's the, you know, 2008 was the 30th anniversary of Star Wars coming out in Japan. What if we did kind of a Japanese version of the book, you know, a smaller scale, but so we, we redesigned the book. We put in some more artwork that we found um, after the, the first book was published, had a book translated into Japanese printed shipped to Japan, flew out for the celebration. Suddenly we have a Japanese version of our book. Um, of the Star Wars part of our book because we couldn't do anything. We couldn't do something quite as big. Um, and then, you know, a couple years later for another celebration, we coordinated bringing um, Ralph's artwork out to have an actual gallery of original art from his, his personal archives. Uh, and for that, we said, well, we've got to do kind of a gallery book to go with it. Um, so we did that. Um, before Ralph passed, we were working on doing a, we decided we wanted to do for Battlestar Galactica what Ballantyne had done for the Star Wars films. We wanted to do a portfolio of his paintings and, you know, designed to kind of have the look and feel of the Ballantyne portfolios. Uh, and that was one of the last projects we worked with directly with Ralph. Um, but we were able to do that for the 35th anniversary of Battlestar Galactica. Then we did the Remembering Ralph McQuarrie um, tribute. Um, but, it, but kind of every, every opportunity where we could say, what what else can we do that'll get a little bit more artwork out there, that'll 
you know, kind of give us another opportunity to kind of ring the bell and, and, you know, help folks remember that, you know, Ralph, you know, Ralph will always be Star Wars to the majority of his fans. That's what they'll know. Um, but we really felt, you know, part of our role could be in making sure that Ralph is remembered not just for Star Wars, but for the other things he did too. Because, you know, Close Encounters, E.T., Cocoon, these aren't kind of little know-nothing efforts. They were, you know, major, major things he did and would be, you know, major accomplishments for an artist um, that didn't have a Star Wars in their career to kind of eclipse everything. Um, but when they, when, uh, when Lucasfilm finally, years later, got around to doing their own art of, uh, Star Wars Art of Ralph McQuarrie book. Um, we were able to kind of uh, serve as consultants. Um, and that was a great experience because one of one of the things that always mattered to Ralph was that he didn't want to get credit for work that wasn't his. Um, meaning, you know, he was doing these finished paintings. Um, he did a lot of design work there are a lot of things in star Wars that really, you know, ground up came from Ralph, but there's a lot that other people worked on. Joe Johnston, a huge example, um, you know, Nilo, uh, on, uh, empire and Jedi. Um, but, but a lot of people were involved and, and Ralph always felt bad when somebody would say, Hey, you know, Ralph, we really like your X wing where you know, the engines were kind of half circles. And when the wings closed, it made a full circle. And Ralph would say, well, yeah, that, that was actually Joe's concept. He's like, but, you know, when George liked a concept, that was the one that would get advanced and that would make it into the paintings. But, you know, he would say, well, so that that painting of, you know, the X-Wing and the TIE Fighter and the Death Star Trench, he's like, well, that's, that's Joe's TIE Fighter, that's Joe's X-Wing, and that's Joe's Death Star Trench. And we'd remind him, we'd say, yeah, Ralph, it's still your painting, right? It's like the, we, we can't, we can't remove any credit from, you know, the, the quality of that finished piece because that's, you know, a huge thing in and of itself. But we were able to say, but we can help spread the word, make it clear that there are these other, you know, these other people um, had these roles and, and kind of specify this was a Ralph design. This was somebody else's design. Um, because again, you know, he, he was not a, um, an egotistical person at all. He was so humble that he would, he would basically pass on credit to anybody else. Or he'd look at his things and say, yeah, that, that, that's not too bad. And that would be like his highest praise he could give his own work. And we'd be like, yeah, Ralph, that, that one, that one's just okay. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like just okay on the Macquarie scale doesn't really register on most people's <laughs> on most people's scale, but th that was just the kind of person he was. And so when when we were kind of working as consultants on the uh, the last book, it was really important because we wanted we knew that when that book came out, that would be the history, and what you know whatever made it into that book was gonna you know forever. Um, reflect star Wars and Ralph McQuarrie. 
And so we were able to kind of help clarify some things, identify some things that, you know, we knew weren't Ralph's work or, you know, that we knew were someone else's designs. Um, you know, Brandon, uh, uh, Allinger and Wade Lagos and Dave Mandel all have, you know, rich awareness and history of Ralph's work. So they, it's not that they didn't know where they were coming from, but we had the added benefit of having spent a lot of time with Ralph, um, and, and gotten stories from him directly. Um, and certainly had a lot of familiarity with a lot of, you know, puzzle pieces that between, you know, documents that we had from Ralph's archives and information that they had from within Lucasfilm, uh, we were able to kind of solve a lot of mysteries. One of the, one of the things that always nagged at me was wanting to know, uh, by the time Return of the Jedi came around, Ralph, Ralph was kind of burnt out on star Wars. Um, he had gotten started on it earlier than most folks because a lot of the guys were working on Raiders and, you know, Ralph though, he did the, he did the Bible painting and Raider, the Bible illustration and Raiders. That was the only thing he did. Um, but he, you know, so he, there are certain concepts, certain designs, the sail barge, things like that, that, that were very much Ralph. Um, but he left before the show was over. Um, and at some point they contacted him and said, well, you know, Ralph, we still want to do a portfolio. Um, but, you know, a lot of the images we've got of yours, the paintings are from scenes that didn't make it into the movie. You know, the, the things that would be years later, Coruscant, um, some of the things of the emperor and the throne room and the lava, um, those were abandoned concepts. So it didn't really make sense to include those in the portfolio at the time. So they said, well, what if we just hired you back to finish some paintings to kind of round out the portfolio? And, and he agreed to do that. He thought that might be a, a fun thing to do. And we always wanted to know, well, how do we tell which ones were actual production paintings versus paintings done for the portfolio? And there were some that were more obvious than others because you'd look at it and say, Oh, that's clearly based on photo reference. You know, that's, that's, that's not a Ralph design. That's a painting that Ralph was trying to make, you know, the actors look as close to the actors or that matches a scene that, you know, we've seen photo reference on. Um, but we, you know, a lot of it was speculation. It's like, well, I think this one and I think that one. And, and I remember several times Brandon and I would have these long phone calls where we'd kind of talk about kind of, bouncing ideas about, you know, I think this one's clearly a, a portfolio painting, but I think this version might be a production painting. Um, and we had a document that had a lot of notes from Ralph and little, you know, indicators, but it didn't all make sense until one day uh, I got a call from Brandon. He's like, I've got this binder or photographs of this binder. And it shows, you know, this painting, this painting, this painting that we weren't sure. He said they were all, dated 81. So we know that's actual production art, not portfolio paintings. And once we had that, we were able to kind of map to some of Ralph's documents and basically kind of figure out a code with how he had marked things to say, okay, if that, if that is definitely, you know, production, 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 and those have this notation and these other pieces don't, you know, we were basically able to kind of finally figure it out. Um, and you know, for 
for having spent so much time around Ralph and around his work and to be able to kind of find some answers to those mysteries um, was such a, a rewarding feeling. And it literally felt like Ralph was kind of sitting over us watching saying, <laughs> took you guys long enough. You know, it's like, it's like I, I left you all the breadcrumbs. You just had to kind of, you know, connect the dots between, you know, your documents and these documents. Um, but it was, it was great to, great to see and finally be able to make those distinctions. Um, and that's one of the things I'm really happy that was made, you know, made it into that book because, uh, I was expecting when, when Rinsler's making of return of the Jedi came out that that book might have that the information. I thought he might be able to track it down, but I realized he, he didn't have the enough of the pieces to fit together. Um, so I, I was really happy we were able to kind of solve some of those, uh, standing mysteries of, you know, which, which Ralph McQuarrie paintings were really production art versus, uh, promotional art as it were. I think it's gotta be kind of interesting that if you're looking back at this phase to go, you know, at the end of the day, who you would have laid money on to have more knowledge or more, you know, you're almost, you know, I, I know from, you know, working in a library, you know, in high school and junior high and you, you just around all this, you know, this catalog of knowledge. And then all of a sudden you kind of translate that into, we just happened to do enough research on something that we either, we were there before everybody else did had our, you know, even if we weren't, didn't have our stuff together, we had the thought before other people did. And then, you know, you fast forward through these books and these process that you can go, well, I just happen to know it. And, and you become this expert, you become this, you know, this expert on this. And that, I think that still to this day must just sort of blow your mind to go, yeah, I just have this this catalog. It's almost like you know, whereas Steve Sansweet has at Rancho Obi Wan, you know, he has the physical aspect of all of this. Yeah. We almost have the mental aspect of having all this knowledge on this one subject, and it happens to be something that I think, like I said, in to start this part of the conversation, we all kind of take. I think we take Ralph's for granted that it just was always there. But it wasn't always, it was there, but it wasn't always organized. It wasn't always known. It wasn't always, you know, all this, that where would we be without the efforts of what you guys did? Well, you know, it, it's funny because one of the downsides of kind of being the custodian of, of information <laughs> is that you then feel compelled to say, okay, I want to, if, if someone says something that's inaccurate, you want to correct it in such a way that, you know, it's not like I'm trying to say, I, I hate the impression of, let me tell you because I'm the expert. Um, I very much want, you know, I, I, I come from a position of Ralph would want people to know this. He would want them to know as, as accurately as possible the history. Um, so things like when somebody will say, hey, the Ralph McQuarrie X-Wing and you know, I, I cringe when I think it was, uh, God, it was in one of the maybe Art of Force Awakens or something where J.J. Abrams said, you know, we went back to the original Ralph McQuarrie designs of like the triangular Star Destroyer and the, you know, the, the X-Wing this way. And and it's like, yeah, I understand why someone looks at, you know, they're, they're thinking, I saw the Ralph McQuarrie painting and I wanted to pull that out and put that in our new film. And again, it's like, 
and I and I get why people call that the Ralph McQuarrie, you know, X-wing. But it's like, but I know that that's the Joe Johnston X-wing, and so I feel compelled to, you know, to kind of say, uh, sorry, sir, that's the uh, Joe Johnston X-wing. And and again, not that I'm trying to say I know something that you don't know, but I want to say Ralph would want people to know, you know, that that was someone else's design. Um, and there there are a lot of things like that. Very often, you know, Ralph in the right around the time right before we met him had done a book called uh, the illustrated star Wars universe. And part of what that book was is um, they, they went back and they were going to, you know, Kevin Anderson wrote it and it's kind of histories of the different locations throughout the star Wars universe. And so they used a lot of existing artwork, but then they had Ralph do new artwork and Ralph was having such a blast on it. I think he did probably several times the art that they were basically hiring him to do because he was just having fun. He was back in the playground that he was on Star Wars, uh, which to just kind of frame this uh, with Star Wars, George brought Ralph a script on January 31st, 1975, second draft, and said, here. And Ralph started reading that that day and immediately started sketching thumbnails. And within the next few weeks had sketches of, you know, Vader, C-3PO, R2-D2, um, by, uh, by the beginning of February had done his painting of the droids in the desert. By um, Valentine's Day, he had done the classic Vader star killer painting. So in a very short period of time, these things were just coming. And the only real influences Ralph had at that point were, were two things. George gave him some reference materials, um, you know, Xeroxes of everything from uh, science fiction book covers, magazine illustrations, um, comic book covers or comic book panels, um, some, you know, photographs of like uh, from Vietnam of, you know, soldiers and things. So Ralph had some of that reference to kind of stylistically absorb. Um, and he had photographs of some of the Colin Cantwell models, which had been created at that point. So the Y-Wing, which factors in heavily to Ralph's original Star Wars paintings, where you don't really see the X-Wings appear until much later. Um, but those, those were the things Ralph was working from. But most of what was going on was Ralph taking George's words and somehow plucking these images out of his imagination and George giving him feedback and saying a little more of this, a little less of that. I like this, you know, I like this look, I like this style, but it wasn't a committee. It was Ralph and, you know, it was George relying on Ralph and then, you know, giving some course correction. By the time the other films rolled around, it was, and again, not that it was by committee, but it was, there were more people involved. There were more artists designing things. There were more. There was more feedback, and, and not that it was a, a, a bad environment, but it was a different environment. Whereas you know it wasn't that kind of personal connection that Ralph had with George. He always had a personal connection with George, you know, to, to the time he passed. But from a standpoint of that working relationship, it wasn't just the two of them being able to say, "Okay, I'm going to go off and 
and I understand, I have an idea what you want. I'm going to go off and just kind of come up with something. Um, so, you know, skipping back to this illustrated Star Wars universe book, I think was probably the closest to that period in terms of Ralph being able to just freely pull upon his imagination and, and take advantage of the fact that now he was, you know, a dozen years removed from having worked on Star Wars. So he had, you know, that, that kind of whatever burnout he had felt by the time when he left Jedi, he was now at a point where he was able to say, yeah, I, I could go back and I can kind of step back into that world and, and come up with some new things. And, and some of it was brand new. Um, some things uh, were, you know, developments of early concepts that he had done during the films. A great example is the, uh, the white, spider that showed up in mm -hmm. the Mandalorian, you know, people will point to the painting and say that was a painting done on empire strikes back. And technically the painting wasn't done. There was a thumbnail sketch done in, you know, the late seventies for empire that had that spider, but he did the painting in the nineties when he did the illustrated star Wars universe book. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of work that he did at that period that was done for the book. Um, and that's another area where I find myself um, often kind of, kind of pointing out, Oh, that was actually, that's not a film piece. That's technically, that was an illustration he did in the nineties for this book. But it's funny now when you look at it and say, but now it's basically become concept art for, you know, the new films or the, you know, the new TV shows. It's like, it doesn't really it doesn't really matter uh, other than the distinction of just wanting to kind of chronologically place it in the right spot. So people have an understanding because it's very easy to look at any painting and say, oh, yeah, that that's, you know, Cloud City. So that must be during Empire Strikes Back. It's like, well, quite likely it is. But some of those, you know, did come later. Um, and so it came from a different timeline for Ralph, too, you know, and so it's. I, I think the the distinction is helpful to know, particularly of, of fans of his art and fans of his his work, um, because also when you look at the production paintings done for the film, for Star Wars in particular, Ralph always said, you know, if I had any idea that these were going to be reproduced, I would have spent more time on them. Because, you know, he felt like I was I was doing this for George and then George would kind of, you know, he ended up showing them to the, you know, the model makers and the set builders and the, the effects guys. And that kind of became the template for a lot of what the film was. But, you know, Ralph wasn't thinking they were going to be published in books and, you know, make prints of them and posters and, you know, use them on packaging and and all these things that happened later. Um, so by the time Empire Strikes Back rolled around. I think he was certainly aware of that possibly being the reality. Um, and again, which is not to put any slight, you know, I, I don't look at any of those Star Wars paintings and say, yeah, those, those are kind of, you know, they're kind of shoddy. It's like, no, those are amazing. It's like they're amazing despite the fact that they weren't intended for a mass audience. Um, but, but that definitely, you know, there was, there was no way that wasn't going to play into Ralph's, you know, consciousness when he's doing this work thinking, gosh they're probably gonna they're probably gonna reprint these too 
what is what are some of the things that happen? I mean, it's been it's been a number of years past, but as far as like, um, do you still have an involvement and 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 if so, what it is and how does how does that how do how do how does Ralph McQuarrie's like? There's one. There's his legacy to the artist, but there's also the legacy of his, you know, of his assets, of his, you know, of the art of of people coming back, you know, and and, and rediscovering this. Um, how does that work these days, and what is your involvement, if any? Sure. So, you know, through the years we worked with Ralph, and you know, before even we we did the book, uh, one of the key things we started doing was scanning 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 all basically getting everything digitized so he would have access to those materials and they'd be preserved um so we've maintained a digital archive since you know shortly after we met him in 1996 um and and that's you know much of the books that we've done have kind of drawn from that um when we did the like the Battlestar Galactica portfolio, we you know went to Universal and we got the license, paid them a lot of money so we could do that, and said, "Okay, can you share the assets that you've got?" And they're like, "Yeah," and they sent us a few dozen pictures, and it's like, "Well, none of these are Ralph's Battlestar Galactica painting." They're like, "Yeah, this is what we've got." So we had to go out and basically hunt down and find the best possible images to on our own um ralph had some slides of things and, and we had some prints i had actually um there had been scripts uh, uh galactica scripts that were created that had inserts of all ralph's paintings and i had one um i found on ebay where somebody was selling the original artwork pages but a xerox of the script because they had the script signed by uh, I think Herbert Jefferson and uh, Lorette Sprang, and say they wanted to keep their signed script, but they didn't care about the art. And I'm thinking, I don't care about the script; I want the art. <laughs> um, so you know, we we were able to scan some of those and and utilize those for um, our source material for the the portfolio. Um, but basically, through the years, then we'd just keep maintaining things. Anytime we'd find new things, we'd scan them, add them, um, kind of organize them as best as we can. And then, basically, kind of the... This is all non-Star Wars things, obviously, because most of the Star Wars art is in the archives. There are certain Star Wars assets that Ralph had that the archives didn't have, um, and, and we've made most of those things available to them again for, for like the, the two volume Abrams book and things. Um, but just in the last few years, you know, folks have done, uh, there's a company in the UK called Eagle Moss that does like die cast metal spaceships. Um, and they're all licensed through universal and, you know, they come with little booklets on kind of the making of the ships and things. And, they reached out to us and said, Hey, we want to, we want to include Ralph's artwork. And so we're able to work with them to uh, provide information and provide scans of his Galactica artwork. Cause we don't have the, you know, we don't control the reproduction rights. Universal does, but universal doesn't have the assets. So we're able to work with folks on that. We've worked with folks on, um, Star Trek books, 
close encounters. Um, I've worked with somebody on, there's an ET book that I guess now is going to come out next year for the uh, 40th anniversary of ET. Hmm. Um, again, basically because we've, we've maintained these digital assets. Um, and, and part of our goal is again, particularly when it comes to the non-Star Wars things, trying to make sure that, um, that Ralph's, uh, not forgotten in those discussions that, that, you know, we're able to kind of make sure that he's, he's part of what, uh, what the fans are aware of and what uh, gets covered when people discuss these topics. So that that's part of what we do is, you know, people will reach out to us and say, Hey, you know, do you have, can you help us find this? Sometimes it's easy. It's like, yeah, talk to this guy at Lucasfilm because they, they handle all the star Wars stuff. Um, other cases, you know, if, if we've got assets, um, we're happy to work with people to, uh, to make sure that Ralph is, is still out there and, um, you know, part of the, the discussion as people talk about these topics and, and we look for opportunities to, um, evangelize, you know, if it's, you know, coming on a podcast to talk about <laughs> Ralph or, uh, you know, writing blog articles or, you know, uh, just sharing the information. Um, I, I count myself as, you know, having been a fan and having never thought that I would know Ralph, let alone um, kind of befriend him and, and kind of think of him as family. Um, to me, the the time that I got with Ralph is something that I'll never be able to repay. And the best thing I can do is share that with as many people as I can, uh, whether that's you know through the artwork, through the stories, um, you know, talking about Ralph is is how we keep him alive, um, and it it's very important to me that we do that. You know, this is not this is not a job for me. This is a this is a passion project that um, you know has allowed us to. Again, we we've had the good good fortune of being able to put out you know books that um, you know will expose people to parts of Ralph's body of work and history that they otherwise wouldn't know about. Um, but just like I said, continuing to, to talk about him and, and make sure people realize kind of who the man was behind the artwork, uh, is, is very important to us because that's a part of it. That's a part of him that, you know, most people never had the chance to, um, experience. And, as amazing as the artwork is and amazing as his um, legacy will be because of the work that he did um, to me that, that pales in comparison to the person that he was and, you know, the, the friend that we had and uh, were just so, so fortunate to have as part of our lives uh, for the years that we, we worked with him. Once again, my thanks to John for being on the program tonight. It was unbelievable to get a chance to talk with him about Macquarie and the process for putting together the Art of Books. What an amazing story. And we'll be bringing him back again in a couple of months uh, for our special 100th episode of the podcast, which will have a special tribute to Ralph Macquarie on the anniversary of his birthday. 
which is on June 13th. I'll be putting some of John's link, links and info in, the, uh, in this podcast description and the rest of them on the show notes, which will be on the website. If you have any feedback for tonight's episode, you can reach out to the program in a number of ways. You can leave a comment on the Instagram post for this episode. You can also DM me on Instagram at RebelBaseCard, which is also where you can find me on Twitter. You can email the program, greg at rebelbasecard.com. You can find me on Facebook also, at Rebel Base Card. You can find the show notes for this, as well as all the other episodes, on the website, rebelbasecard.com. In the Star Wars Card Trader app, and, well, just about every other Card Trader app, you can find me, at CornFedTech. I use the hashtag CardSquadron, not only for the way to put out the word on cool cards and card collecting, but as a way to bring the community a little closer together. We collect, communicate, and commiserate when we run out of crystals and credits to spend in the app. Join in on the fun. Plus, well, all the other cool squadron names were already taken. We collect as one, and would be honored if you would join us. And if you were a sketch card artist or Star Wars artist or collector, cosplayer, author, and want to talk about your work, your craft, or your passion, drop me a line and maybe we can work something out. I'd love to get a chance to hear your story. You can also leave a comment and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get this podcast from. Otherwise, I implore you, keep those cards out of the hands of the Empire, and I'll talk to you soon. The music for this podcast is brought to you under a Creative Commons license from Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails. This is Discipline, off the album The Slip. This podcast is not affiliated in any way with Topps, Disney, or Star Wars, nor is it endorsed by Disney or Lucasfilm, and is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All names and sounds and any other related items are properties of their respective trademarks and or copyright holders here in the U.S. and abroad. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com.